Hi everyone, welcome to the Sacred Musings podcast, episode 84, it's the 25th of May. Um, Slightly different today, going to be a slightly more stripped back episode, um, just because I'm not feeling 100% today. Um, I've had this sort of ongoing virus thing for a a week or two now, and it just seems to rock. Well, every time I think it's getting better, it doesn't actually seem to be getting better. So I hope that it doesn't come across too much in my voice. Um, but um, yeah, what I'm going to do is just um, I'm just going to run through a few links, and then we're going to look at a uh, uh, think about Christian unity today. Think about whether Christians can be united. It's just a topic which has been on my mind quite a lot over the last um, few months. So I don't know a few people have been talking about it. So I thought it'd be worth looking at in a bit more detail. But before we get to that, uh, let me just uh, run through a few things that I've seen this week that have happened. <clears throat> Um, so the first thing is that um, a teacher was banned from teaching because he misgendered a pupil, as in he called them by the wrong gender. Um, if you look into it, that's not the only reason, but it is the major one. It seems in the that the this, this sort of um, what is it TRA the Teaching Regul- Regulation Authority sort of found, they also seemed to... It, it seemed to be more of a stitch-up job, really, that they just didn't like him, so they found him him in guilty. And I think it's it's awful that something like this could happen in, you know, the 21st century in um, in Britain, that, you know, we, we, we can get teachers who are sacked because they don't call, a, you know, a boy... A, a girl who identifies as a boy boy or, or you know just by mistake even it, it's such a hatchet job it's um that's not quite the right phrase but you know it's, it's awful so i'll put the link down uh, down to that underneath he's a christian teacher and a christian concern are supporting him and i think he's going to appeal so uh, let's pray for him the second thing that you might be interested in an article by rod dreyer called mainstreaming satanism subtitle target sells pro-trans merch designed by devil worshipper no really an interesting um but but scary piece um saying target the the store in america has started selling merchandise by someone who actually is a a satanist and it's sort of transgender affirming and and whatnot um incredibly satanism seems to be on the rise um and that's you know, they seem to see it not as, you know, Satan as kind of representative, not literally, you know, um, murdering virgins and dancing around them or, or something, you know, whatever the caricature is. But actually they they see it as a kind of, um, you know, as liberty, which is which is ironic because it's the opposite, I think. Um, anyway, do have a look at that from Rod Dreher um, if you're interested. Uh, the COVID physician has been writing again. Um so another article saying the Gates-funded MHRA bans cough and other conspiracy theory facts. Um, looking at um, conspiracy theories or supposed conspiracy theories and so on. And um, yeah, uh, again, the COVID physician always works, uh, always writes well. And uh, this, is, this is a good piece all about... Um, uh, well, the problems with the state and the medical establishment and so on. So... You have a look at that. And at the final thing which I saw is that actually, um, well, I mean, this was sort of aimed at church leaders, but it 
um, it was an article called on the Gospel Coalition called The Church Needs Pastor Theologians. And uh, it was by someone called uh, Douglas Sweeney. And he says, um, Surveys show most Christians today are theologically illiterate, malnourished by the people called to feed them. And I thought it was interesting. It kind of ties into why I started Sacred Musings in the first place. Because I think people are not being told how to join the dots about the Bible and about what's going on in the world and about how we respond to this and, you know, just really how Christianity applies to the whole of life, not just to a certain moral area, which is um, talking about maybe like the Ten Commandments or something. I, mean, I think actually a lot of churches don't really even teach those. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that was interesting as well. So this is a problem which has been spotted by a lot of people. And, um, you know, what, I, what I'm doing here, I suppose, is try to redress that. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's interesting that the, the problem is being picked up by more um, parts of the church. Okay, so let's look in now to this issue of Christian unity. So I'm going to put that up. Here we go. So the question is, can Christians be united? Now, this is something which... Uh, I know a lot of people have been have have had similar questions about um, Christians are not known for their unity, and I've got a, a well. I, put, I found a graphic there. I wanted to try and find another one, um, but this is a graphic. And I apologise if you're list, just listening to this on the podcast, but I'm sure you can imagine it that the history of Christianity is just lots of groups splitting off from one another. So originally there was the church, then it became, you know, there was the Roman Catholic Church, there was the Orthodox Church, and then at the Reformation there was Lutheranism, there was Anglicanism, Calvinism, Anabaptism, and, and so on and so forth. So all of these different groups kind of split off. And if you look into the, the even more specific denominations, then there are many of the kind of particular uh, denominations you know there's a difference between grace baptists for example and you know just regular i'm not sure what the difference is actually but you know there there are all sorts of differences um now why have i been thinking about this it's because my experience pre-covid lockdowns and post-covid lockdowns or well, certainly things have changed over about the last three years prior to covid I would have associated with, you know, I, I suppose see myself more naturally in the, well, for one, as, an, as a Church of England, as an ordained Church of England minister, certainly within the, the Church of England, although I kind of felt at odds with many of the hierarchy in the Church of England, as regular listeners will no doubt have picked up. Um, but within that, I come from a what's known as a conservative evangelical tribe, um, and I won't go into what that means at the moment, but just you know, I would have associated more naturally, I suppose, with people who went to my theological college, who um, you know went to the same conferences, who read the same books, and and so on and so forth. So there was very much a network, and I saw myself as part of that network. They were my people, if you like. But since since the COVID lockdowns, things have really changed. And partly that's been a complete collapse in trust 
of the people who I I thought um were my my brothers, you know that I that I associated with, when so many of them did not stand up against uh, what was happening with COVID, and even joined in with the uh you know the the censorship and and so on all of the bad stuff that we saw going on so didn't just buy into the the narrative but actually tried to you know to distance themselves from someone who was questioning it and so i felt very very alienated from my from my own sort of tribe if you like and on on the other side of the coin i felt a growing connection with people who are not from my tribe but who have stood against what's happening with COVID and seen it for the evil as what it is. And so that was happening over the past um, few years, which is, you know, feeling alienated from people who I would have considered to be part of my tribe and actually finding that I am more close to people from other denominations and other groups um, who I would not have considered to be part of my tribe before. Um, that's that's been my experience and I'm sure that it's not just my experience it's the experience of other people too so what I wanted to to look at was was unity and particularly thinking about uh, what the bible has to say about unity Um, I'm not going to have a sort of biblical reflection at the end of this Um, so what is what is unity how important is it that's the first question. How important is unity? Let me quote to you from what Jesus says in John chapter 17, verses 20 to 23. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So oneness, unity, is not an optional extra for Christians, but it is something that Jesus prays for in uh, in John's Gospel, John chapter 17, unity, he's saying that actually as he and the Father are one, so he wants his people to be one. So unity is a very high calling. Uh, and I think that this is it's something that Christians often underplay at unity because, you know, we, we, um, we think about, well, you know, the Church of England, they talk a lot about unity, but there's very little of it. And you see that the case in other places as well. You know, you think about the way that a lot of organisations talk about diversity while not being very diverse. You know, in the Church of England, we talk a lot about unity while there's very little unity. But unity in its proper sense is a good and right thing to be talking about, as is um, diversity, in fact, in the proper sense. And uh, this is what Jesus prayed, that, you know, unity is our goal, I suppose, or one of the the goals that we should have as a church. That's what Jesus prays for. So the question then we turn to is, how many churches are there 
Jesus prays for unity. How many churches are there? Let me read. I've got um, a few Bible verses to read. So this is Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. Paul says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So Paul says the church is the body of Christ, the body, the church. So there is only one church. As we say in the creed, uh, I believe in one holy, catholic and apostolic church. There is only one church and it is not uh, associated with any one human institution. You know, it belongs to God. It is comprised of people who belong to him. But it, it does not map on to any human institution or denomination. The church is the body of Christ. Uh, but secondly, uh, this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 2. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So here we see that it's possible to, for there to be a church in a particular town or city. And uh, in Corinth, um, Paul just writes to the church of God in Corinth, knowing that, you know, he just means the people of God in that town, in that city. Um, that's all he means by that. And he says that, you know, yes, they are there in Corinth, they're in that place, but... They are um, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus. So it's the same Lord Jesus. It's just these. he's writing to these people in Corinth who call on the name of the Lord Jesus as God's people do everywhere. Uh, so that's a local expression of the church. It's a, it's a local church, but it's a local part of the whole. And then uh, one more verse here from uh, Romans chapter 16, verses 3 to 5. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. So here we see, well, we see the churches of the Gentiles, it says. So, you know, churches, not just church, but, but the different churches, referring to the presumably different cities and places which are in Gentile areas. Um, but it says, greet also the church that meets at their house. So there is a church he talks about, but it's it's one which meets a small church, we presume, which meets at their house. It's a small gathering. So here we've seen three different uses of the church. It is, there's the whole worldwide church through history, the body of Christ, the universal church. There is a church in a particular city or town. Um, and then there's a church in an individual house and all those three things are churches but the the small churches are part of the whole that's the thing so that uh, it's not that you know the church in Corinth is different to the church in Ephesus for example they're part of the one but they're just a local expression of it depending on where people are so that's a uh, that's the thing. And, and um, the church in um, Priscilla and Aquila's house is part of the bigger church as well. So 
what is it then that unites us as the church? And this is something that we've uh, already um, kind of hinted at. Paul's already mentioned. Uh, but let me read you a little bit more. This is also, oh, actually, actually I haven't put the reference on the slide, but this is also from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptise any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptised in my name. Yes, I also baptised the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptised anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptise, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So Paul is addressing a problem where the Corinthians were saying, uh, some of them were saying, well, I follow Paul. Another one says, I follow Apollos or, or Cephas. And still another says, I follow Christ. And I remember Don Carson saying about this passage that they were probably the most sanctimonious of the lot. <laughs> um, but you know, it was a church that was divided by leaders. And what Paul says is, no, 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 you don't follow us. You follow Christ. And I wonder if he was writing to the church today, maybe he would say something similar, but with different names. So maybe he would say to some of us, you know, you don't follow Thomas Cranmer as Anglicans. You know, Thomas Cranmer, yes, the Book of Common Prayer, all of those things, they're wonderful. But you don't follow Cranmer, you follow Christ. You don't follow the Pope, you follow Christ. You know, you don't follow whatever, um, whoever christian celebrities are in vogue at the moment you follow christ that as christians that's our calling to follow christ not to follow human beings no we don't follow human leaders at the end of the day there is one christ and christians are called to follow him that is that's the point now traditionally through the history of the church it, it has been necessary to draw up um, doctrinal and creedal statements things like the apostles creed and the nicene creed which are still um the the sort of um, i guess the definitive expressions of christianity um which sort of unites the church um but there have been other other things the anglicans have got the 39 articles um roman catholics have got the magisterium the catechism um, there are other things too, various different confessions of faith and different denominations will have different confessions of faith that they look to. Now, there are pros and cons to doing this. Um, it, it is a good, the pros are that they do summarise beliefs well and especially, I think, in matters where uh, it is necessary to take a particular line in contrast with others. So, Baptists, for example will say that we believe it is not right to baptise uh, 
people before they're old enough to understand so not to baptize infants for example and that's been you know hundreds of years that that um, you've had baptists who have that that view um, so to have that in a confession it does at least set out your stall and say you know this is what we believe from the bible and you know this is this is our summary of it and it is easy to see where the differences lie with a concise statement. You know, some people say our only creed is the Bible. And, you know, in some ways that, yeah, I can see the value in that saying, yes, the Bible is definitive for what we believe. Um, but at the same time, it's not always very helpful to say our only creed is the Bible, because how do you interpret the Bible in, in these in these ways? What do you think about this passage? And so on and so forth. So it's easier to have a, a statement which you draw out from the Bible. But there are also uh, cons to having doctrinal statements, particularly as you get more specific. One of the problems is that they reduce, they're reductionist, they reduce faith to a particular set of propositions. So they say if you just agree with this list of 10, 20, 100 points, whatever, then you're a Christian. And I don't think that's what creedal and doctrinal statements are for. They're meant to be a summary, but they're not meant to say that's what being a Christian is all about. And it's quite easy to confuse the two things, I think, sadly, that people do get uh, being a Christian confused with, you know, just simply having the, the correct, in their view, uh, creedal statement. And the problem is that they don't mean anything if people don't actually believe. And this is kind of what we've been seeing over the last three years, which is that uh, it, people have, you know, we've said, yeah, we believe in Christ, we submit to him. But then when what the government have said seems to have gone against what Christ said in terms of, you know, meeting together, singing, trusting in God, not being afraid, and all of those things, then the churches have gone with what the government says rather than what Christ said. And I think it is that, really, that straightforward. Um, that, you know, they've chosen the state and the the secular world rather than Christ. Even though they may say they believe and have all of the correct doctrinal statements, it doesn't matter a bit if you don't actually have faith in Christ. And that's the problem with doctrinal and creedal statements. They may be useful for, you know, saying, setting out your stall, this is where we are as a church. But they don't actually matter a bit if people don't have faith in Christ. And that's not to mention the fact that there are problems in creedal statements as well that you will never get a creedal statement, a doctrinal statement, which is 100% accurate, that says everything that you want it to say, nothing more, nothing less. Um, so just to give you an example, again, I'm talking as an Anglican, as an Anglican minister, um, this is what it says about the doctrine of the Church of England. These are the canons of the Church of England. Uh, this is from Canon A5. The doctrine of the Church of England is grounded in the Holy Scriptures and in such teachings of the ancient fathers and councils of the Church as are agreeable to the said Scriptures. In particular, such doctrine is to be found in the 39 Articles of Religion, the Book of Common Prayer 
and the ordinal. So the the church um, the Church of England the faith is grounded in the Holy Scriptures, and this doctrine also in the ancient fathers and councils which are agreeable to the Scriptures. So the Scriptures take priority, which I, I believe is right. Um, and then it says the this doctrine we find in the thirty nine articles, the um, Book of Common Prayer, and the ordinal. So the doctrine of the Church of England is from the um, the Scriptures. Um, including the, the teachings of the fathers and councils of the church, uh, as long as they agree with the scriptures. And, uh, and we set forth in the, in the particular um, documents of the Church of England, such as the 39 Articles. However, the 39 Articles and the Book of Common Prayer are not perfect. Now let me just quote you a couple of examples, and there are a few more that we could look at. But the 39 Articles, Article uh, 37, it includes the line, The laws of the realm may punish Christian men with death for heinous and grievous offences. Well, if nothing else, that's just factually inaccurate, isn't it? Anymore, we don't have the death penalty in this country. So we are looking to our uh, the 39 Articles, for example, as Anglicans, and that it contains factually inaccurate statements. You know, they haven't been updated to do to deal with the law of the land. Uh, and there are other things too, which one might quibble at. But that's just one particular example. And but even the Book of Common Prayer, uh, the Book of Common Prayer has lines which have been contentious. So one of them being from the baptism of children, uh, and it's uh, this is just after the child is baptized, the priest says, seeing now dearly beloved brethren, that this child is regenerate and grafted into the body of Christ's church. Now again, this line has been controversial because you know, it's making a very clear statement that the child who is baptised is basically a Christian, is regenerate. And I mean, I don't know about um, any of your experience of uh, baptisms these days, of uh, baptisms of infants, but uh, seeing the number of non-Christians who've brought their children into the church for baptism over the, the years that I've been part of the church um, you know I mean that's a it makes a mockery of it I think it's one thing to say this when you have Christian parents who will definitely bring their children up um, you know knowing knowing the Lord with sort of the Ten Commandments and things I think it's one thing to say it then you can sort of say it in hope but it's quite another thing to say it in the way that the church is now uh, so this line has been somewhat controversial uh, as well. So you know, I, I think that the um, I love the 39 articles, I love the Book of Common Prayer and so on. But I know, I recognise that they're not perfect. They are not everything that God would say to us. And, um, you know, that uh, there are, they are human at the end of the day. Although as much as I do believe they are a good expression of the Bible, there may be, there may be flaws. Um, so where does unity come from if it doesn't come from creeds, confessions and doctrinal statements? This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 to 6. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. 
make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That last bit, I mean, the number of times Paul mentions the word one, one God, one faith, one baptism, uh, one Lord, one, one God and Father of all. So, you know, clearly our unity comes from God. Now, we don't worship different gods. Uh, the Baptists don't worship a Baptist God and the Anglicans don't worship an Anglican God and, and so on and so forth. That at the end of the day, there is one God. That is the point of this all. And what Paul says is that we must live a life worthy of our calling. That Christ has to make a difference to our lives. And that's something which I've been finding uh, more and more over the last few years. That there are a lot of people say they, they believe. But Christ seems to make no difference to actually how they live in any meaningful sense when it comes to um well when it comes to what's going on in the world uh, at large but but also in other other ways more personal um and paul says no we have to live a life worthy of the calling we've received that christ has to make a difference and that that difference is through the holy spirit and it's the holy spirit who gives us unity you know it's as we have faith in god as we trust in him as we pray to him and as we seek to live in his ways and ask for his help in doing so, you know, as we repent of sin, turn to Christ, that is when we grow in faith. And it's it's through the Spirit that we grow in unity. And this is the thing, that the closer we grow to the Lord, the closer we grow to the one who actually gives unity in the first place. And that's the significant thing here, that unity is not does not come from doctrinal statements that it comes from believing and obeying god and through walking in in step with the holy spirit that's where real unity comes from and when you don't have that when you try and make unity about the institution but not actually about the holy spirit then you there's no proper unity that unity has to be around the truth and it has to be around um, the Spirit. Because you know, there is only one God. There is one faith. There is one baptism. And if we don't have unity around that, then there is no unity. So where does this leave us? I've got three things that I'd like to suggest. But please do leave a comment or a message on Telegram or email me through at sacredmusingspod at gmail.com. I'm sure you'll have thoughts about this as well but i'd like to suggest three things firstly i think we need to be prepared to recognize that the church is much bigger than any one human institution now i i know i mentioned this on the podcast a few weeks ago but it it is something which bears repeating I, i'm seeing increasing calls for people to join the catholic church the roman catholic church um and i resist that not simply because um you know i think there are there are reasons why um for me i, I don't think I, I that's something that i would do 
which we can get into another time, but just more generally, that I think to say any Christian needs to join a particular institution, human institution, is wrong. That the church is the body of Christ and it is found wherever there are believers and true faith in Christ. That's where the church is and it's, it's created by the Holy Spirit. So we mustn't look to human institutions for what only God can do. That's what I'm saying, that we must look to God for unity rather than human institutions. But secondly, we need to recognise that written creeds and confessions are not always worth the paper they're written on. That's something which I think I've found over the last few years, that people who I thought I would be united with have not been. Uh, and um, I think part of the problem is that all of the things that we say we believe are not necessarily what we do actually believe. And so we need to be on the lookout. Thirdly, uh, be prepared to work with other believers who are seeking to live by faith in Christ Jesus. But I found more affinity and more unity with people who are seeking to walk by faith in the Lord Jesus and seeking to, to live by the truth. I don't think this means that we have to undermine all of the, the differences that we have you know the difference the differences between catholics and protestants between different denominations but i think it does mean that we have to recognize in one another where there is genuine faith where there is a genuine submission to christ and wanting to submit everything to christ and to walk with him against the ways of this world and this dark world that we live in if someone is being prepared to stand up for the truth to stand up for christ in this world then i think that is that is to be commended and that is someone who i want to uh, to say you know look we have to walk together and uh, there are all sorts of other problems that we haven't dealt with here um like what is it what about people who claim to be christian but really are just baptizing the secular spirit of the age with a christian veneer and of course you know we have to be on the lookout for false um, believers for for wolves in sheep's clothing i haven't really dealt with that i've talked about that before but we haven't really dealt with that at the moment um but i i think you know this is seems to me to be one way forward which is that recognizing that our churches yes we do have um differences and i'm not trying to paper over those differences but saying can we see each other you know and, and recognize those who are genuine believers who have faith in Christ, who are seeking to live in submission to him, in especially in this secular and dark age. Um, can we be people who, who recognise that in one another, where it is to be found, and rejoice and celebrate that, and, uh, and work with them and pray for one another? Um, I just wanted to finish with a, a closing thought here. Um, we're not having a sort of um, closing uh, I won't do a, a, a reflection from the Bible as such at the end, but just a, a couple of verses, three verses from Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 3, which I thought was kind of wrapped it all up in quite a good way. This is what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, 
the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I thought that's a lovely way to finish, just thinking, we've, we, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. There have been people who've gone before us, who we read about in, in the Bible, but also we read about through the history of the church, who have persevered seeking Christ through their lives. And that's what we are called to do, to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You know, your race is different to mine. God has given us all a different race to run. But uh, Jesus, we need, to, we need to fix our eyes on him. You know, we need to fix our eyes on what he said, how he said we should live our lives, his teachings, uh, his life, uh, bringing us to the Father through, uh, through the sacrifice of himself on the cross and through his resurrection. We are raised to new life. He is the one that we should keep our eyes on and the more we fix our eyes and keep our eyes on him i think the closer that we will be together as well so that's that's what we need to be doing just fix our eyes on jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith and that's uh, that's the way that we go so those are just a few of my thoughts um i hope that you found that uh, helpful at least a little bit and i hope that my my voice hasn't annoyed you too much as well um just to let you know before before we close um I'll, I'll pray in a minute but just to let you know next week i will be away so there won't be a podcast next week i'll be back in two weeks um so yeah do it just a heads up for that let's take a moment to 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 uh to finish to to pray as we finish and um and then that that's that that's the end so heavenly father we do give you thanks that uh, there is one faith, there is one Lord, there is one baptism, one, one God and Father of all. And we pray that you would help us, those who believe and trust in you, to grow in our, our faith and trust in you. And as we do so, to grow closer together with other believers who also have that same faith and trust in you. And we pray, Lord, that in this day and age, in our secular and dark world, that you would cause many people to have a deeper faith and trust in you so that um, your church um, would be seen to be uh, to be one in unity and purpose and that we would stand firmly against uh, what is happening in the world and would stand for your righteousness and truth. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to um, be able to, to see unity, not in human institutional terms, but... Uh, through your terms through the holy spirit and we pray that you would uh, help us day by day as we do that um, to stand for you and uh, and work with other believers too we ask these things in jesus name amen well thanks so much for joining me everyone um don't forget uh leave me a comment if you like uh telegram email me through sacredmusingspod at gmail.com and there's a buy me a coffee link as well if you would like to support the podcast. So I really do appreciate all of those things. Hopefully by in two weeks time, by the time I get back, um, I'll, uh, this cold thing will have gone. <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, God bless you. And um, yeah, I'll see you again soon.